0: Welcome to Mind Rolling. I'm Raghu Marcus with my David Silver. I put
1: my name in right there.
0: Good. With my partner here, David Silver. And today we have someone real special because, uh, well, this is one of David's very, very oldest friends. If not, I mean, on a continuum from that time till now, you have to say that's, it's been, uh,
1: you know... Yeah. Our friend, our friend... Danny Goldberg on a return appearance on Mind Rolling, which we're really pleased about. Welcome Danny. Hi Danny. Hi guys. So
0: I I'm going to say what's on my mind and uh David, you actually it's something David said, Danny. This you know, we talk on this broad uh, broadcast podcast uh, a lot about trying uh we talk about social action and you know, and we 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 talk a lot about the fact that as long as there's an us and a them, then whatever we're trying to do can't really be effective. And of course this is something Ramdas has talked about in his lectures from the late sixties and and has been involved in service. So I uh so David said something. he was reading the paper, I believe, and he just said something to me that was Boy, tough. So that guy who went and said uh, what to Obama, and who was he?
1: Well, the thing was that I can't stand to look at your face, Danny. It was something like that. I, don't, I can't even look at you, was what they said he, he said. Wa-
0: he walked up to Obama and said in the, this. In
1: the, in, the, in the meetings they had between the Republican House members and Obama last week, I guess, and the others were fairly cordial, I think, but this guy said that, and then we just went, oh. How can we like these people? (laughs) Well, not (laughs) even
0: a matter of liking. Uh, It's a matter of of, uh, yeah, just starting to loathe immediately, right? And then creating the place that they've already created. Basically, Uh, you you have that going on inside you. How how are we supposed to? How do you deal with this in yourself, Danny? Oh
2: gee, well I'm not in, in myself in my day to day life, or as I look and think about the world of politics and social action
0: as you look you know well both as you look at that and then you won't then you have some sort of reaction to stuff one way or the other
2: in my day-to-day life i I don't have anybody who says to my face anything like that thank god i mean they may be thinking it i hope not but but I, i i haven't i haven't had to deal with that sort of thing um i guess when i worked in corporations you know i was conscious that there were rivals and 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 so on but uh to me the person who's who's uh, written the best about this and who spoke the best about this is Martin Luther King who obviously had didn't have the power of the presidency he was uh, vulnerable to being jailed uh he he was uh, dealing in an america where uh, there were still uh, colored water fountains and uh and he was ultimately killed uh so so he has obviously the moral authority, and he just has the vocabulary about it and he just believes that love was the only answer, no matter how painful it was and uh you know he's he's to me the best teacher about this kind of thing uh living Martin Luther the, the King's beliefs in rhetoric in real life is not so easy, but clearly that's the that's the exemplar that we have
0: absolutely absolutely i I guess You know, again, on the podcast, we, you know, there's a lot of people interacting now. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, we've talked to actually uh, the guy that turned us on to podcasts, Duncan Trussell, who we mention a lot on this um, podcast. I mean, he, one podcast brought it up, you know, straight on, all about what do you do? You know, now they're eavesdropping on everything. Uh, You know, young guy, right? Late 30s, mid, mid, late 30s. And what do you do regarding what's going on with the food, you know? And, uh, you know, one thing after another of this dark, dark vision. And he actually said, so, you know, what what do you think he said to us about actually gathering in a way that, um, you know, was going to be really in the face of the government in, you know, whatever way he was meaning, I believe it included violence right i mean he was really talking about an uprising i mean aren't people going to are they going to take being manipulated you know so in a lot of anger you know so from this generation so we've had to respond to it and and we respond to it in just in that way i mean more of what we talk about is if you don't get yourself inside straightened out so you're not become you know creating this anger and, uh, you know, us and them and, and polarization of extreme and so on. Nothing's going to happen. And that's kind of what we, what we say. Um, to I mean,
1: Danny, off- to be honest, I was reacting not to the guy saying to me or anyone. Saying, just the fact that this guy I said it to Obama in a meeting that was supposed to be conciliatory. My reaction when I was reading The Times this morning, when, or not this morning, a few days ago, was one of, you know, appalled. I was just appalled and, and, and bummed. By the fact that anyone would do this in that context. And I think it's important
2: yeah. for people who are listening who don't follow like the political media, you know, David and I are both kind of uh, addicts of political media and talk, talk, uh, cable talk and all that stuff is that the White House has denied that that happened. Ah. That, that, um, that Harry Reid told some senators that that happened and then, um, this a senator from uh, Illinois, Dick Durbin, then said it to a reporter, and the White House immediately denied it and said no such thing ever happened. So some people, like Chris Matthews on his talk show, said that he thinks that it's really smart for the White House to deny it because they don't want to fuel right uh, hatred yeah. and controversy about that. But that he personally believes it's very possible something like that did happen. So that's that's where the the facts are. We we don't know for sure that it happened. We do know. That representative, uh, I think Joe Wilson was his name, shouted out, you lie!" Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But, I mean, the specific is important to me. What I mentioned, when I, 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 I guess that they have said that. But it's my reaction I'm talking about, you know, to reading it in the paper that is more important to me. Actually, yeah, exactly Which that. is, you know, I just found myself hating him. And now, okay, so he didn't say whatever. I'm, but, you know, it's happening all the time. And I'm not saying I'm full of hate or anything. But I think what we want to talk about primarily... You know it's what you went into with Martin Luther King, you know that how do you create a dynamic of love in a society where young people in particular are going love, these people are like aliens, they're killing they're us. reptilian, yeah. you know that's what we hear so uh, w- what is your take on how to best go about kind of achieving that sort of detachment plus love uh to overcome this raging response to a very you know weird society
2: yeah i mean i'll I'll talk. I'd love to answer in two parts. One sort of about the general society and then about personally. Generally, I think any of the hatred that you see in the political world, whether it's uh, a lot of it is fueled by talk radio, I think where you've got captive audience of millions of people uh, in cars, commuting, listening to this. And a lot of it originates with the racists of, uh, you know, going back to the civil war and before the civil war. It's a, it's a subset of the society. It's not a majority. I mean, one thing to remember is that a majority of Americans elected Barack Obama twice, so that the haters do not speak for the country. They are a minority. And I think there's a, there's a cohort of a society of, uh, uh, of, 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 of white people uh, in certain areas with certain kind of upbringing and certain kind of media habits and, and members of certain kind of churches in some instances who feel uh, uh, left behind, marginalized, uh, frustrated. Uh, the economy's obviously been terrible for what used to be called the middle class and uh you know there there's millions of them that have been manipulated into believing that it's uh that it's uh, liberals and racial minorities and homosexuals are responsible for their own personal pain and difficulty in their life and that's a kind of demagogic approach that's not new in this country and it's not new in the world it's been as long as we've been alive that that's been out there and uh it's actually demonstrable that it's somewhat less powerful today than it was when we were, when we were younger, but it's still incredibly painful to see, uh, hatred having influence, uh in, uh, in, in, uh, in progress for the country and just the poison and divisiveness that it, that it can, that it can spread. And, and racism is definitely part of it. Although I don't think that that's, that's the whole, the whole thing. In terms of personally dealing with 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 negativity and anger, I mean, I've had a problem with my temper as long as I can remember. And um, the only thing that I've learned over the years is how terrible I feel when I lose my temper. That that I, I, I over the years and decades, I've gotten more sensitive to almost it's like feeling toxins and a sense of of real uh, almost uh, physical illness and certainly. Sadness and self-recrimination, sometimes self-hatred. If I if I lose my temper, so I've just tried to install in my mind as many different uh, uh, reminders not to do it as I can. And you know the, the, what what everybody says, which is easy to uh, to say and hard to do, is is to take a deep breath and to take a few deep breaths. You know resets and gives you a wider perspective and makes it for me less likely that I'm gonna. Uh, lose my temper and, and let the toxins flow. It doesn't always work because a lot of times I'm so agitated I'll forget to take the breaths. But it, it does work if one can remember. And it's one of those things if you do it more often and you keep you reminding yourself a zillion times uh, uh, as years go by, I think you can reduce the amount of, uh, uh, of negativity because it just doesn't work. It doesn't make things better. It always makes things worse. I, if anger made things better you know, I would be all for it. And there is, I think, such a thing as righteous anger where you've just absolutely got to express vociferously and powerfully your objection to injustice or someone hurting you or somebody that you love. That's different from the kind of uh, ego anger that just makes you feel horrible and that always adds the terrible results, you know. So it's not, it's again, easy to say, hard to do, but the old cliche of taking some deep breaths and trying to observe yourself before reacting to have any is, is like, you know, is, is the only thing I could come up with to reduce the likelihood of uh, negative uh, outbursts.
0: Yeah. In the moment, of course, that's absolutely the only thing you can do is is just to have some method to back off and get into an awareness of what's going on at the very least. But then even when that passes... And you're just sort of in conversation, you know, I'm talking to you, you know, and we've talked before and I've asked you this, that or the other, being that you're much more in the know about what's really going on or what's going on. Um, So I can remember just my whole attitude around the right or, you know, if not specific people, we could talk about Ted Cruz or something. Right. And just, you know, what he did and, and the wrongness of it. I feel that you know, so I'm not hot in the moment. I'm not, I don't have a lot of anger in the moment, but deep seated inside me, there there is complete op, uh, polarization. So it's hard to even think with that kind of circumstance. You know, uh, I'm 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 able to to. That's a huge transformation to make, a huge jump. And let me give you a little story about this. this is even a little hard to admit in a funny way. Uh I went to India Kr- uh, Krishnadas many of you all know Krishnadas out there. If anybody doesn't send me a email and I'm going to send you a track. I do this lots of people come by the way yes. and say could you please send me a, a KD song. Yeah. Anyhow, he and I went to India maybe 4 or 5 weeks after 911. I don't remember we must have, of course, we had it planned, and so on and so forth. So, off we went, and I remember being completely paranoid getting on the plane. <laughs> Both of us, we were looking around. You see any, oh, you know, and completely typecasting. You know, whoever does, uh, whoever it was that we were uh, supposedly in fear of, um, and anyhow, we got to India, and you know, once you get to India, the whole your whole world turns upside down. We actually started feeling like way better. You know, distant from that horror. And we went up to where we usually go, uh, and we, we stay in this ashram in the foothills of the Himalayas and do a retreat kind of thing. And nearby is a town with many of uh, our, our closest Indian family, that Maharaji, Ge- Ma- Neem Karoli Baba, who you know of from Ram Dass' book. He, he gave us this family when we went to India, and they took us in. And whenever I go there, it's like going home, literally. I can't tell you how close these people are. We are to them. And one of them, who was actually the, uh, the head of the family at this point, because he's the oldest member, and it's a pretty large family, and, and other friends of ours, we were sitting around, and he said, what do you, boy, 9-11, you know, and just started talking. And, yeah, it's terrible, and, and so on. And then there was, you know, we were all just, it was just that heavy moment when you share that with people you haven't seen since, you know, 9-11. And then there was just silence, And then suddenly he said, "They ought to kill them all." (laughs) I, Krishna I we just about floored. I mean, we—I mean, it was so, it was so matter of fact, of deep seated I mean, these people have the you know longest deep seated, you know, horror going on. You know, forget what we have going here. This is this is baby shit next to what you know, and and so (laughs) obviously.
2: Hindus and Muslims in India obviously created, you know, the, the horrible tension between Pakistan and India, right? I mean, and, that's, yeah.
0: And within India, I have been caught in riots between Hindus and Muslims one yeah. major time. So, um, but the point more is that it, you know, that's how deep seated it is with these people. I mean, they can't get, you know, as as enlightening as enlightened you would think they might have gotten or certainly advanced uh, sitting around a saint like this for how many years? I mean, these people were with them for 30, 40, 50 years. So it's like that old story uh, that's uh, it's in the Indian Vedas or somewhere, but it's always told. It's like a great, great sage, a rishi, who has been in the forest meditating for thousands of years or some crazy thing and a beautiful what they call in india apsara divine heavenly incredible woman comes down totally for the purpose of distracting the sage and they all fall so if even a a sage can fall what chance do we have is my thing with this so it's just so deep inside us this polarization this this uh, and that And you're right, there's only one way, ultimately, and that is uh, Martin Luther King's way. That is Gandhi's way. But I I guess we're wrestling with the fact that this is so difficult, especially in these times.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, planet Earth uh, is uh, seemingly designed to have darkness and light. I mean, the darkness is obvious, whether it's uh, the cruelty that people... uh, you know, the Holocaust, the poverty that's allowed, the environmental degradation. uh, And at the same time, there's been enough lightness to create civilization and to create great art and to uh, and to produce great beings. And I have no idea why God, or whatever name you want to call the greater wisdom in the universe created this particular planet that way. That's, that's not my department, but yeah. I do know, I do know that, that we have examples that we can follow. Uh, I love Martin Luther King because he spoke. There's so much of his speeches available online, and, and although the political ones are the most famous ones, uh, the spiritual ones are quite, quite stunning. He was a real spiritual being and he was certainly imperfect as a human being as all of his biographers will will, will attest um, I think for the United States politics uh, Frank Rich wrote an article a few issues ago in New York Magazine and a lot of other people have observed that the current phenomenon of the so-called tea party or that subset of the tea party that's driven by hatred and it seems like you know uh, uh, tribalism is, is not new it certainly existed before the Civil War when there was slavery It obviously existed since the Civil War and it's 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 uh, sometimes those forces have more power than other times Uh, they didn't have the ability to prevent Barack Obama from being elected twice and um, I believe ultimately that the majority of Americans are not going to fall for the hatred but we have to somehow have compassion as much as we can for people who are trapped in the delusion that believes that hating liberals or people who live in New York City or African Americans or Latinos or homosexuals are responsible for their own deprivation and pain. A lot of them have been lied to. Uh, If you ever listen to these talk radio people and understand that most of their listeners are getting all of their information about the world from them, it's literally akin to brainwashing. And to the extent that we can ever communicate with people, I think a lot of them are... Can be changed, not all of them, but you know, if I, I always say that if I believed that Saddam Hussein had attacked us on 9/11, I probably would have been for the war against Iraq. Uh, if I believed that global warming was a hoax invented by liberal academicians and politicians and other people that want to make money. I guess I'd be against the environmental regulations. I mean, so so a lot of people have just been lied to, brainwashed, ignorant, and those people ultimately can be reached and educated and learned. And we've seen the change in public opinion on things like race and sexual orientation and the rights of women. It's not perfect, but it's gotten better. So I think we just have to try to keep going back to our deepest beliefs, and live moment to moment and love as much as we can at the same time, holding firm on our on our beliefs. If someone is in in on them. I, I don't know that there's, I mean, I think all the answers are the same old answers. And um, that's that's where we have to just keep keep trying to remember. And uh, none of us get it right all the time. But that's, that's still, that doesn't mean that there's not clear examples of how to do it. Mm. I mean, think of Nelson Mandela. I mean, this guy was in just terrible jail doing hard labor for 27 years in a, in, in a brutal apartheid system that's far worse than what we have in most of the United States, although I guess some of the prisons are as bad for some of the people in them, and he comes out and you, you watch that movie Invictus where he wants to make sure that this African American community, which is the majority supports the uh, the rugby team, which was the hero of all the white racists because he wanted to send a message that that that, that they weren't uh, that there was one society in one country It's 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 it's, it's a corny movie, but it's really uh mm. it's really an example of overcoming hatred with love and mandela's legacy is that i mean you know so there are some of these people that have done it and uh, our job is to try to remember to be as much like them as we can in the real moment and and at the same time not to hate ourselves when we when we fail because self hatred or as my spiritual teacher Kilda charlton would say unworthiness is useless
0: mm.
1: all right so you're, what you're saying danny is that we recognize in ourselves that we can see these things, where we can't overcome, but we shouldn't continue the self uh, hatred, because it doesn't do any good. In other words, let yourself give yourself a break. Notice it, observe it, but don't use it against yourself eternally.
2: I mean, to me, like Ragu said, oh, if even a Rishi could fall, then what hope is there for us? I think you could look at it differently. That if even a Rishi could fall, then I shouldn't hate myself for falling. Right, And therefore, The job after you fall is to get up and to try to reboot and reconnect with with your highest self. And over the course of a lifetime, you hope you you have a good enough batting average that when you look back on your life, you give yourself a pat on the back. But, you know, if rishis fall, then we can't hate ourselves for falling. But at the same time, you you get up as soon as you can. And, And in terms of... Uh, you know, uh, the political realm, um, the, the thing that I'm always trying to watch in myself is uh, knee jerk uh, sentences, knee jerk reactions that just, that I've said hundreds of times before, and that like a typical liberal would say, because if it's too much of a formula, if it's too much of a reflex as opposed to a loving, thoughtful thing, it's not going to actually do any good, except sort of, uh, you know, in terms of reinforcing and bonding among like minded people. So, you know, sometimes, you know, Michael Moore was accused once of saying, gee, your movies just preach to the choir. And he said, you know, sometimes you got to remind the choir what to sing. And (laughs) I believe that's true. So I don't think, I think there's a place for those of us who, for want of a better word, are on the left or so-called progressive or whatever to reinforce each other. But ultimately, the more compassion and love we can shine out, the more hearts are likely to be touched clearly the gay rights movement is an incredible example of people who by just coming out and expressing their humanity changed the hearts of the majority of the country Mm. and when you think about really what it was like to be gay just fifty years ago it's mind-boggling how how society has been able to open up their their hearts in most parts of this world in a way that just wasn't the case when we were we were born so there are some examples of love overcoming Uh, But that doesn't mean you you don't have to also be firm in opposing injustice. And again, King is one of the great examples, but, you know, there are others.
0: Well, thanks, because, God, I was, uh, you know, I I get into a very uh, cynical place. And you're absolutely right, Danny. You're bringing in a perspective over history, which I think is a good way for people to uh, people like me who do sometimes, you know, knee-jerk react to this stuff. Uh, it, I think, the perspective is a br- is part of a breath that um, you know this has this is not anything new. And and the story I told about my Indian family friends who reacted in in this you know, I mean, beyond uh, hateful way. I mean, it was just a they couldn't even stop themselves. Um, but that there is a way to understand this and, and bring a breath to it by having a, a bigger perspective, and a, you know that's uh, very real. What you what you said, and we uh, we do have enough great examples to live up to it. So um, uh, we, we have to uh, we have to do our little commer- we have to do commercials um, for mind rolling podcast.
2: Can I, can I do a little bit of a commercial for it? Yeah. Oh,
0: please do. We've been having all our guests do this because we are really lame. This
2: and is Danny Goldberg. And you're about to hear from Ragu and David about the need to support uh, Mind Rolling because uh, without money, they can't keep doing this. And uh, you know, we're very blessed, those of us who listen to this, because we don't have to pay the way we pay for a movie but it's uh it's not going to exist if we don't pay something and there are all these different ways that they'll tell you about to pay but i urge you to include that in your deliberations about this is the need to keep it going and thriving
1: thank you perfect great lovely well, just, just give you the details quickly amazon well
0: wait let me say one thing you give the details but i have to say um one other thing you know some of you may have heard the other episode we did with danny and and we you know we really talked about uh the work that he's done and you know his career and so on and we've mentioned nothing but at least the very least before you give this uh, commercial because this will have something to oh, do with well, it I mean, is the fact that uh, Danny has been in the music business for a very very long time in all sorts of different executive positions and we actually were, were partners uh, on, in a couple of different times uh and that's a loosely configured word, uh, basically. Yeah, I mean, the, th-
1: the thing about it is it only is like a part of Danny. because I mean, yeah, head of Atlantic, head of Warren brothers Records, head of many major league. But apart from that, you know, his involvement with such iconic figures as Zeppelin and Nirvana and many, many, many others. But also Danny's involvement with uh, social activism, Air America, uh, many other things, you know, head of the... California ACLU. I mean, it's he's my dearest friend. But I mean, I just list these things, and it's it's it's, it's yes. very impressive. So to to have any kind of endorsement and support uh, from Danny is, is great.
0: But here's here's
1: how I <laughs> shouldn't I do this Amazon thing? Then?
0: Yeah, you're gonna. But I yeah. still have to connect the dots. The fact that Danny was involved in amazing number of a very very creative and transformative projects. You were involved with some of them as well so this yeah. is not news to you but so you can buy some of these things on uh, all of these things through amazon so if you g- now go ahead
1: oh well yeah yeah um th- well the ba- the bands that, that, that danny's been involved with are too many to list but but you know a lot of them uh amazon has everything uh, all of those kind of things and and all of the other kind of things like uh, electric staplers or um you know, rug, rugs well. for dogs. And uh, I mean, I'm just being silly, but you can, it's hard to stump Amazon. Really, it is. I've, I've looked for the most esoteric Tibetan books, and they're there, you know. So every time you buy one through the Amazon portal on uh we get a percentage, a small one, but it's, you know, in the end, a really useful one. So
0: that's a great way, well, it's really. The best way. That's the best way out of everything. I mean, we love donations, we, and you certainly buy a t shirt or a mug. Danny did yeah and uh and and then we have also audible dot com where you can buy in, uh in, you can get a uh a membership and get wonderful downloads of god knows you know so many different books and you know for us we recommend you know like what duncan was recommending Pema children who is a fantastic uh teacher one hundred and thirty
1: six hour uh course from yeah. pema children on audible dot com with her doing it you know so and that free month gives you a lot we get Checks from Amazon and Audible dot com every month. They're reliable. They really do it, and it really helps us. And it doesn't cost you any extra from what you would be spending in the first place. Okay, let's get back to the program. Um, I, I, I want.
0: Uh, do you have something in in mind? Uh, no, no,
1: no. Oh, strange,
0: I Danny. No. Uh, I just want to hear. I, I just want to hear. Just give us a couple of anecdotes from uh, from the old days when the music business wasn't as say, tough as it is right now, uh, to even get going, you know, where, you know, you, you got going with a band that wasn't known and, and, you know, is which one out there is one that you can tell us some interesting stories about?
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. I, uh, I, I um, don't totally understand the question. You, you, you want me to talk about an artist that I work with?
0: Yeah, yeah. Somebody you brought up in, in the days when they were a nothing, and you work with them and, and brought them from a nothing to a something, and just that. I know it's a fun, transformative process when, when something like that happens.
2: Yeah. Well, I um the the, the main uh, there's been a few big changes. And the most prominent change is the decline of, of records. And, you know, there used to be thousands of record stores. where Now there are only dozens. And there used to be uh, uh, an amount of money that records could make that could justify thousands of more jobs at record companies than exist today. And that's, that's the big change that's gotten the most attention in the digital age. But the other, other aspects of the media also have changed a lot. In the, in, the, in the wake of, of technological changes, w- w- one of which is, is radio, where, where uh, Raghu, obviously you, I think, uh, also worked years ago. Yeah. There were uh, uh, FM rock radio stations starting in 67 and that thrived certainly into the early 90s where artists who didn't necessarily have pop hits that would appeal to 10, 11, or 12, or 13-year-olds could still reach a mass audience music lovers who, who wanted to, uh, who, who were fans, and it produced a, a kind of success of artists uh, that are harder to develop uh, today. Uh, Zeppelin, who I worked with, uh, never really had so-called pop or top 40 radio, to give an example. And a lot of the major, uh, major uh, people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, reached their audience through the sort of world of FM radio. And, and that was a world where you just had more variety and, and And so on, um, uh, and sometimes things would do well there and then become uh, you know pop records. The successes that I had that 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 I was involved with uh, that come to mind were were both situations though where where I just was lucky enough to be involved with artists who did a song that was like a magic song, and it's hard to really explain to anybody, including artists themselves, why some songs are so much more popular than others and why, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, you'd play a song by one artist and, you know, three people would call up to listen to it and you'd play another one and 50 people would call up and why somebody put something on the internet today and it gets, uh, you know, 20,000 views on YouTube and something else gets 20 million. But but one of the things is that there's an element of it that's not driven by marketing. It's driven by just the magic of certain combinations of music, rhythm, the vocals and and lyrics and and I had a couple of them in my life, uh, you know. And then the job is to just try to help uh, help uh, image and you know can can you know manage the business of of these things. One of them was when I worked for Led Zeppelin. The first artist that they signed was Bad Company, which was uh, consisted of uh, Paul Rogers, who had been in the band Free and uh, Mick Ralphs who had been in Martha Hoople and the drummer Simon Kirk also had been in in free and boz burrell had been in in kim crimson so but it wasn't exactly a supergroup because none of those groups that they came from were superstars they were mid-level talented british rock bands and uh you know the first song uh, uh that was released to the public was can't get enough of your love and it was one of those things where it just uh exploded immediately and people would say, oh, yeah, well, they were on Led Zeppelin's label, so that was the um, type of influence that caused that success. But, but you know, uh, uh, six months earlier, uh, the same group of people with all the same influence uh, Zeppelin and all of the business people that were affiliated with them, Atlantic Records and so on and so forth, had put on Maggie Bell's first record. And probably most people listening to has never heard of Maggie Bell, although I know David has. She was, was great. Yeah. Scottish. I saying, never
0: heard of her.
1: She was Scottish. So
2: Sound a little bit like Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. and and uh, got tremendous promotion. And Jerry Wexler produced it, who was Aretha Franklin's producer, and th- she did the best tours and played all the Fillmore and all these everything you could want. Got got on the radio stations that I'm talking about uh, and uh, nobody bought it. You know, it got incredible press. I did, you know, I was involved, you know, time Newsweek, the New York times, and, you know, didn't, it just the public heard it, didn't respond. Same team puts out bad company. It, they actually got slightly less press because they were a little more, less of an angle than, than Maggie Bell. And it just exploded within, within weeks. And, uh, you know, I immediately was treated by people in the business as being this great executive. And I had broken bad company. But, you know, a lot of it is really being uh, patient. you got to know all the mechanics of the business. In those days, we did have FM radio. So you could introduce artists that just are much harder to introduce today to a mass audience. Later on, there was MTV, which would always have slots. For unorthodox non-pop artists. Today, its it takes a longer time, although uh, there are definitely artists that, that are unconventional and not pop, who are able to develop through uh, alternative media, through the internet, and through independent labels. Uh, you A know, band like Arcade Fire is a massive superstar. They're on a tiny little label. They've never had a pop record. They sell out nights at Madison Square Garden. So, you know, the main lesson I got from working over the decades with artists was Trying to get involved with the right artists because all of the other things that people like me learn how to do, which is to get people articles in the newspaper, to get it in blogs today, to to do the social networking in the optimum way, to 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 uh, to um, get people on tours, to try to attract investment from labels and other entities, uh, are secondary. They're vital, and it's a skill set that you need to have if you're going to get anybody to work with you. But the real thing is. There is some weird magical connection between certain music and the public, and uh, uh, my experience has been just to try to to try to be patient enough to, to to find those things, or to work with artists who eventually you know find the right song. I, I know that's not very um, uh, consistent with the idea of romanticizing the process of marketing and promotion and management and being a label executive, but you know I called my book "Bumping into Geniuses" for a reason. It's because that's really how I perceive whatever success I had was to be able to work with people that had genius about connecting with the public and then and then my job is to try to maximize that and to manage the business part of it but to actually create that bond and connection nobody can do that there are records on the radio all the time that don't sell and there are underdogs that nobody liked that somehow do eventually sell because of that uh, Mm -hmm. weird special connection of one out of ten thousand songs And it's frustrating. People write 30 songs and my songs are just as good as anything that Kings of Leon has done. Well, you know, even Kings of Leon on their latest record didn't have a song that was as big as their earlier songs. You know, it's just one of those things that it's still a mystery and may it always be so.
1: (laughs) Uh, Just, uh, Danny, you said there were two examples you wanted to talk about. So would you just give us a little... Uh, well the
2: example i mean, the artist that I'm asked to talk about the most is Nirvana because Nirvana has made a greater impact on on the public than any other artist that I worked with from the very beginning Led Zeppelin is certainly just as big in their own way uh, and you know by some measurements bigger but I only got involved with Led Zeppelin after they were already a superstar and I was their publicist and helped run their American label whereas with, with Nirvana I was their manager and I was involved with them at the moment that they became superstars and I had a closer relationship and a publicly closer relationship with Kurt Cobain than, than, the, than the one that I had with the members of Zeppelin. So, so that's who I get asked about a lot, is Nirvana. I just did an interview yesterday with some National Geographic TV show that's doing something about the 90s. And um, uh, the success of Nirvana is certainly a perfect example of the primacy of the artist and the music overall of the process. Uh, again, there was a team of people, Geffen Records, uh, as the label with Gary Gersh as the A&R person and uh, John Sylvanai as managers uh and um uh, who who were involved with uh, Sonic Youth uh who was a critically acclaimed and incredibly talented group that would sell about a 100,000 records and a uh, 1,000 tickets just about anywhere and who were very influential on other artists and uh then Nirvana came out uh we I met them because they opened for Sonic Youth in Europe and and more from Sonic Youth told me about the band and said I'd be crazy if we didn't manage them. And so I trusted him. And, uh, you know, they uh, they put out that uh, record, Nevermind, and Smells Like Teen Spirit, was the, the lead track. And uh, within weeks, it was one of the biggest songs in the world. All the same people that had worked on the Sonic Youth record with, with real passion and priority worked on this. And it, frankly, marketing, Nirvana was a lot easier because... Uh, within a week or so of anybody hearing the song, it became like one of their favorite songs. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, there was an article in the New York Times uh, when when the album uh, overcame Michael Jackson's uh, uh, bad and became the number one best selling album in the world a few months after it came out. And they interviewed Eddie Rosenblatt, who was then the president the of Geffen Records. And they said, Tell us what the marketing plan was on Nevermind to accomplish this amazing thing, a new artist. Beating up Michael Jackson at Christmas time for number one. And he said, Our marketing plan was get out of the way
0: and duck. Mm, right. Oh, that, I mean, you know, again, you, I mean, when we were with you over at uh, Mercury, of course, that happened with Unbop, the Hansen group. I mean, the same kind of a thing. That song just overwhelmed everything, right?
2: Hansen had a number one hit. And of course, they've never had another number one hit since with Mbop. Um You know, that didn't establish an artist at the same level, because it was a pop record. It didn't also include that kind of sticky connectivity that, that the rock world creates, but yeah. that was a gigantic, gigantic hit. But at uh, the end of the
1: day, you're saying that you know there's a magic there, and that's it. I mean, you can't program it, you can't... Which is encouraging to me, actually. I think that's great, yeah, that I'm art, just, you know, has its own yeah, momentum. It's not always no, all about
2: marketing. no question that there are certain people who get tuned in, sometimes for a period of time that's only a few years and sometimes it's for decades, who understand something about rhythm, production, melody that have a far, 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 far greater batting average than other people do. And uh, you look at something like Nile Rodgers, who created the band Chic and who produced some of Bowie's big records, and then 25 years later produces and co-writes the, daft, the big Daft Punk record that's one of the biggest records.
1: I'm very happy about this, Danny, because as you know, I have a family member who's involved in this phenomenon. So. I, I, I do.
2: But so, so, so you know, the, the there there are people that are much more talented at identifying hits, at producing hits, and at writing hits than other people. It's 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 like any other kind of a talent, whether it's an artist or a political speaker or a novelist or. You know a business person it, there is there there are people that are that are that are very very talented at creating mass culture, but even those people uh are wrong a lot of the time, and then there are other people that 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 don't do it for most of their life but do it once or twice so there is the fact that there's a mystery in it doesn't mean that there's not a craftsmanship and a skill set mm-hmm. associated with it it's it's just it it's just that that craftsmanship and talent and skills that doesn't uh, 100% work. It's, it's about like batting average. You know? It's like saying with a baseball player, someone bets 400, you know, they're going to be the best hitter in 60 years, but that still means six out of 10 times they didn't get a hit.
0: All right, wait a minute. Now, right. David, what, what, I, I, that flew by me. What, what's going on with Daft Punk?
1: Well, I told you in the car, Fran DeFeo is working with Nile.
0: Oh, all right, so this is David's uh, sister-in-law and sort of, yeah. uh, who's been an amazing uh, publicist for Sony Forever. And so, oh, so that's the family And she loves working, yeah, that's why I said it. it. Okay. But I mean, uh,
1: to get to the thing about it, Danny, I mean, there you, you know, perfect example. Because well, a lot of people who tune into this podcast, Danny, are, are musicians, find that from the feedback we get, you know. Um, we even get music, too. And uh, I, I really like it when, uh, particularly you, actually, uh, who was a master publicist and, and executive and designer of the music business to say that ultimately, you know, it is really not all about this sort of thing that people think about being manipulated by the media, that that's things that don't make it, don't make it for reasons that are beyond our ken, And the other way around too, I think is, yeah, maybe I mean,
2: don't, listen, it's, it's, it's a strange combination of these things. I mean, obviously, uh, People that were on American Idol had amazing exposure, and the likelihood of them having a career was far greater than people that weren't on American Idol. Uh, And uh, people that, uh, you know, Phoenix got to be on Saturday Night Live very early because there were people at the show that really liked them, and that definitely helped Phoenix accelerate their their success. But but it's it's uh, at the core of it is people have to like it themselves. The public has to like it themselves.
1: Yeah, we want to congratulate you, Danny, on The Hives being in that great Jay-Z film, which I personally love, called Made in America. And it's uh, it's not just a concert film, it's a documentary. And uh, Danny is involved with The Hives, manages The Hives, and they were on the show and, and uh, very loved by this... Uh, you know, yeah, they're, incred- a Swedish,
2: they're a Swedish rock band, they're an incredible live band, and they... Uh, they have a lot of fans in the hip-hop world, even though their music is rock and roll and really influenced more by the Ramones than anybody else. But they, there's something about them that's crossed some boundaries. They're bigger in Europe than here, but they're a very, very a lot of fun, really good band. Uh, uh, you know, a little diff- I, I don't think they evoke some of the deep spiritual feelings that Krishnadas does, but they, they sure make you want
0: to dance. Krishnadas. <laughs> <laughs> Krishnadas <laughs> Krishna is making a new record, by the way, Danny as we speak he's been uh sending uh us uh mixes and stuff and uh he's he's getting even better the guy yeah
1: we were amazed it's it, honestly danny this new music which we just heard and it's so beautiful and his voice is not at all it's 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 f- sort of finer and and higher and it'll, you know it's great you i know you love kd song
2: i'm um, i'm one of I don't know. It's up to millions of people. Certainly, in the hundreds of thousands around the world, that are just what he does is in a whole other category than most music. It, it, it evokes very, very powerful and beautiful, deep inner feelings. Uh, he's uh, he's got a gift, no question about it.
0: And this leads us to uh, just. I, I just want to bring full circle this this little podcast, okay. Um, I mean, we've talked about a couple of different things here, you know, and the thing that just rings out for me most, and Danny, you sent me something sometime back, I'm going back to Martin Luther King, because, I don't know, I'm just, I'm I'm still resonating with that from from our conversation, the first part of the podcast, and I kind of want to go out with, with him in mind, and I you I know you know some beautiful um just little quotes of his, and you know just talk about him and some you know however which way loosely
2: well what i what I discovered some years ago listening to an r and b radio station were that a lot of his sermons are on tape, not just his political speeches, and the sermons where he was talking to you know mostly african American audience uh you know uh some of it in Atlanta, some of it in alabama um as a man of God, and and there was a line in one of them that that is one of my favorite quotes where he says, although we live in the colony of time, we owe our allegiance to the empire of eternity, and to me that just says so much, because first of all, um, we do, he's acknowledging that we live in time, that we live in, in, where our bodies age, where where there's uh, there's there's physical manifestations connected to to money and health, and and climate and all sorts of other things, but but that, that definition of who we are, you know, our name, our address, our bank account, our PR, our job, our family definitions is not the sole definition of who we are. That there is this, what he calls the empire of eternity. Eternity is the transcendent reality. That 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 is beyond uh, the calendar years of one life, or what you know the Hindus would call one incarnation. And he says more than that that exists. He says we are allegiance to that, that that is our true self. And uh, it's just such a great phrase, and coming from him, who had tremendous issues in the colony of time. He was fighting against the FBI. He was fighting against his own dark forces. He was fighting against criticism from his own colleagues and from other African Americans. And of course he was fighting against the legacy of slavery. Uh, and he, uh, he was able to remember, uh, the empire of eternity. So I, I just find that a, a great, a great phrase, but he has a million of them. He was a real holy man as well as being an activist. And that combination to me is, uh, really, really rare. I, I, I Gandhi, I think, was that uh, on some level I have to believe Mandela has some of that. He was not a pure nonviolent person; he doesn't talk as spiritually, but the actions of his life are so much on a higher uh, moral plane than, than we're expecting from you know politicians. And uh, yeah, but King to me is one of the masters, and and you know you can't I can't get enough of him. I, I try to tune in with him because he was an American and He lived in our time. There's an intimacy to some of his language that I don't always feel in uh, Eastern spiritual uh, frame. And uh, and uh, I, I think uh, if you just think, what would Martin Luther King do? You, you really come up with the right answer every
0: time. That's right on. I mean that uh, for, for the many people, for all of us that are listening out there, and and going through real hard time and getting polarized a lot. And you know, I, I'm. I put myself right in the front of that line. Um, I mean, this is as uh, good advice that anybody can get. Honestly, I mean, because as soon as Danny started talking about Martin Luther King at the beginning of the podcast, and then we started talking about all of the other pla- all of the other places where we all get caught, I I felt resonance of uh, just feeling compassion. I felt his compassion, which. That's so difficult in the position that he was in. And he this
2: had so that. Do I, do I have time to tell one more story? Absolutely. He, so Martin Luther King, in one of his speeches, told a story that took place during the Montgomery bus boycott, which was widely considered the birth of the civil rights movement. It was uh, what happened in Montgomery, Alabama, after... A woman named Rosa Parks said she wouldn't sit on the back of the bus anymore. And King, who was then a 27, 28-year-old minister in Montgomery, Alabama, organization that would boycott of, 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 of blacks, then called Negroes, who would boycott the buses until they ended the segregation on buses. And he had many threats. And one day he said, the phone rang at around 6 in the morning, and he heard on the other end of the phone a voice saying nigger if you don't stop this we're going to blow up your house and kill your children and he he says that he'd heard these threats before and he'd had calls like this before but for some reason that one just filled him with terror and fear he said I went into the kitchen and made myself some coffee hoping that coffee would give me some relief but that didn't work either and then, I'll never forget it, I got, I, I kneeled down over that cup of coffee and I said, God, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do what I think you want me to do, but I'm scared. And if I'm scared, I don't know how to lead people because they're gonna feel that I'm scared and they're gonna get scared too. And he said, then I heard a voice that said, Martin Luther King Jr., stand up for peace stand up for justice, stand up for righteousness, and I will be with you until the end of the world. And he said that was the moment that he knew he could go on and do his work. So again, if a Rishi could be fall, if Martin Luther King can get so scared that he can't function, if those people need to tune into a higher power in order to, to reboot, to realign, to refocus, and to reserve, then the rest of us can't be down on ourselves if we need to do that from time
0: to time as well. Mm. Beautiful, Danny. Oh, yeah. Beautiful story. Amazing. I mean, wonderful, wonderful. So, yeah. everybody, all of us out there listening, and I said it just before, uh, this is uh, all uh, valuable feedback, feedback for all of us. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, we did, Danny, I think you know Sharon Salzberg, a great Buddhist meditation I'm, I'm, teacher.
2: I'm familiar with her work. I've seen tapes of her lectures and read what she's written.
0: Yes. Well, we have a, a, web, a podcast up a Webcast, a podcast up with her on mindrollingpodcast.com. You can go there and uh, stream or download and, or on iTunes and she talked uh, we talked a lot with her around meditation which was con- is conceptually the same thing that you're mentioning more than once uh since we've been talking and that is when you fall down you pick yourself up and keep moving and in in the case of meditation as soon as you realize that you are completely lost you go back to whatever that single point to your breath or whatever it is So you learn, I mean, the practice is is falling down and getting up or getting lost and getting focused, whatever it may be. So I think that's a good, uh, a a very good uh, basic way to keep some balance in our lives. So thank you. uh, Much, much, much love to you, Danny. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you. thank you so much, Danny.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for including me. I love Mind Rolling. I urge everyone listening to support it every way that they can because we
0: want hundreds more of these. Thank you, Danny. David?
1: Yeah, just... um, I, I, I just have to add to that, that. Just that Martin Luther King quote, Empire of Eternity and that story together are enough to just change my day. Big time! Every time you've ever brought it up to me. Mm. So for we get letters, Danny. A lot of letters from a lot of younger people, not necessarily younger, who are just you know going through such changes about stuff, uh, and and yet have the freshness of youth and the newness of youth, which is just so great. Possess that. But when they when I think when they hear this, uh, the feedback we've got is that it really does help to hear from the masters and from as you said from a, a recent identifiable man who was able to overcome all that darkness and uh and, and help uh, millions of other people anyway thank you danny
0: thank you danny see you david we shall uh bye bye <laughs>